Listen, I saw a picture. Dylan Islander here took a picture, and I looked good. I'm telling you, I did. It, it was, and it, don't distract me, Tim. Don't distract me right there. But I, if you remember correctly, I was preaching about hypocrisy. And the reason why I was preaching about hypocrisy is because it's a common, uh, it's a common stumbling block to the invitation that you give to, sometimes to people that you're trying to invite to church. Because well, I don't want to go there. There's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. You know what? And I owned up to it. Yeah, there's hypocrisy in the church, but there's hypocrisy in the world. Right? And, but at the same time, hypocrisy has a deeper meaning than what a lot of people really know it does. And the word actually hypocrite in the Greek actually means a stage actor or a pretender. And the picture that you see here is just a, a modern uh, version of what the Grecian culture, the Grecian games, or not games, but theater. Oftentimes, it was one actor that played many parts. The most they had was three actors. And in order to see their facial expressions, which you couldn't see from afar, that they would change and they would put on a different mask that would, again, uh, highlight their emotions and also allow them to play different roles. Thus, the word hypocrite, when Jesus reproved hypocrisy, it was something that people were very familiar with. And there's a passage in Scripture that I want to just, just quote to you real quickly. It's in Mark chapter number 12. And it's where they came to him, the scribes and the Pharisees, which often were the recipients of Jesus' reproof over hypocrisy. They came to him to tempt him. This is one of those passages of Scripture where they're trying to catch him in his words. And the Bible says this, but he, knowing their hypocrisy. Let me tell you, you can fool some people some of the time, but you can't fool God any of the time. Is that right? So I found out you're better to just take the mask off and just be honest before the Lord. But we're going we're gonna to open this up, dialogue it a little bit deeper than I was able to go last week, and then we're just going to let the Lord have his way. Amen. Father, we love you, and we're grateful to be in this house for this opportunity to share the word of God. My heart is so excited to minister your word today, and I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would let preaching come easy in this house. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen, and you can be seated. You know, just for a, br a brief review, as I preached about hypocrisy in the church last week and even defining it for you as I've already done so today, you know, certainly you can't pick up the subject of hypocrisy without focusing on Jesus' dialogue and often confrontation with the religious leaders of his day, especially the scribes and even the Pharisees, because often that they would cloak themselves with a religious attire or a religious uh, covering but at the same time, Jesus could see their heart, and he knew that their heart was far from him. He even quoted from the Old Testament when he said, With your lips you honor me, but your heart is far from me. Jesus reproved the Pharisees, I believe, because the Bible says in the, in the context of fasting, they disfigured their faces to be seen of men, so they changed their appearance. But on the inside, their motive was very impure. Before God, And so Jesus loved people enough to confront them of hypocrisy. So as we develop the sermon a little bit further, as I developed a little bit further with you, I encourage you to remove the mask of pretending, including in this context when I dismissed or as I led it to the, con the conclusion, pretending as a believer, oftentimes we 
put on a mask of pretense that everything is good in our life, especially when we come to church because we see two or three or four people that we think, man, they got everything going, and God's just blessing them, and I'm struggling a little bit, and I'm going through something. And so we put on our mask. We put on our mask because we don't want people to know that we really have hurt and, and we're really struggling deep down and we need somebody. So by doing so, let me tell you, you're robbing us of the opportunity to come to your aid. One thing I'm so appreciative about this church family, if you're open enough to expose your need before God and before this church family in quiet at the altar, hey, I need prayer, I'm telling you, people will be to your side. And they will lift you up, and they will pray with you, and they will continue to pray with you to, that God will strengthen you during your crisis. But you got to take the mask off. you got to be honest with your church family. So again, hypocrisy, again, is many-sided. It's not just someone who's trying to fake their religion with an ulterior motive of deception. Sometimes it's just simply somebody afraid to be vulnerable in the presence of others. Today, I want to take you a, a little bit deeper in this context. You know, I started thinking about that, and I revisited it in the Scriptures. And I found out, now, when I'm going to talk about disguising today. I know we've got Halloween coming up on the 31st, and there'll be little children dressed as all kinds of different characters, and even some of you will be dressed in different characters. But I found out in the Word of God that there, are many times, there were several times in the Word where actually biblical uh, personalities disguise themselves, some with an evil un, uh, ulterior motive and some in, in order to protect themselves from a different crisis. And I'm just going to just glean these down for you just real quickly now. So it's going to be kind of like scrolling. We're just going to kind of scroll these down. I won't go into the depth of them. I won't take you on long rabbit trails. But just to let you see that it was, it was something that happened. Number one, Jesus warned of false prophets in sheep's clothing. Right? So now think about disguise. Sometimes disguise is associated with a mask. Paul warned of false apostles who would disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Many times they would actually even write letters in Paul's name, sign them in Paul's name in order to, uh, to deceive the people. So Paul's warning them of false apostles that will disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And he said this. This is in 2 Corinthians 11. He said, and no wonder because Satan himself can transfigure himself into an angel of light. That's how come we, have, we still have idolatry in the earth today. Even though you would think, man, we would know that there's just one God, but Satan himself transfigures himself into an angel of light. And he becomes the recipient of men's worship by transfiguring or changing or disguising himself. King Josiah, who was a godly king of Judah as well as King Ahab, which is an ungodly king of Israel, both died in battle, though at different times, because they disguised themselves when they went into battle. They were afraid that if they were known to be the king, they would be targeted, so they disguised themselves, but the enemy's arrow still found them. Go a little bit further. David played the madman. That's what the Bible says. He pretended to be a madman when he had gone to the Philistines and he realized that he had made a mistake. He was hiding from Saul who was trying to take his life. So he went to Saul's arch enemy, the Philistines, and he realized I've made a mistake because he's heard people, he's heard people, he had he heard people uh, plotting to kill him. So that's that famous passage of Scripture where he let the saliva come down on his beard and he plucked his hair and scratched on the wall and danced 
pushed around. He played the madman, but God opened the door for him to escape, and he escaped to the, to the cave of Adullam. Saul disguised himself in order to seek counsel from the witch at Endor. You can read that in 1 Samuel chapter number 27 because the, the law forbade any uh, those that practiced the black arts to be in Israel. He didn't want his identity known because he knew if she knew he was the king that, that she would not you know, uh, practice her art for him. And God wasn't answering him, so he disguised himself and he went to a woman uh, that practiced in the dark arts. Uh, in the book of Joshua... The Gibeonites disguised themselves as being from a far country so that they could make a covenant. They tricked Israel to making a covenant with them and protecting them during the time of the conquest of the land of Israel. You can read that in the book of Joshua. And in the book of Genesis even, Joseph hid his own identity. Remember Joseph who was sent in front of the family of, of, of Israel uh, by his brothers who sold him into slavery. And many years later, he's ridden, risen to the place of prominence, the prime minister in all of Egypt. And when his brothers come before him, he disguises or he hides his identity for at least a little while uh, while they don't know uh, of, of his true identity. And then this is one that, that stands out in the book of Genesis. Tamar, who is the daughter of Judah, who is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, hence the the house of Judah to which Jesus is an actual descendant. And actually his lineage can be traced through what happened. His daughter-in-law, her husband, Judah's son, had died, brought up no seed. Judah was supposed to give him his other son to marry. That was according to the custom of the day. Judah failed to do so. So Tamar goes down. She changes. She lays off her mourner's attire. She puts on the attire of a harlot. She puts a mask on or she covers her face. She sits beside the road, clicks her heels up when Judah comes by and she seduces him and he uh, goes into her, commits fornication with her and she gains seed of Judas. How odd that is though that the godly lineage of Jesus can be trailed even through that moment. I'm telling you, God's a God of grace and mercy. And uh, perhaps the most famous case in history of stolen identity. You think st- identity theft is something that's particular to our generation? The most famous case in all of history is when Isaac is going to bless his son Esau, the firstborn. And while Esau's gone to the field to kill venison to prepare a meal for his father, Rebekah dresses Jacob up and makes him look like and attempt to sound like, are y'all hearing what I'm saying, Esau? And he goes in front of his father whose eyes are dim and he smells of him and he smells like the field and he feels of him and he feels like Esau because they've got leather on his shoulders and wool and the Bible says Esau was a hairy man and, and Isaac blessed his son. In essence, he stole the blessing from his brother Esau. And so we see all of those in Scripture, and it just kind of teaches us that, again, in the context of hypocrisy, if hypocrisy is pretending to be another, then it's not new or particular to just the New Testament. And I want to take you in Scripture to a passage of Scripture today in 1 Kings chapter 14, and I want to develop this because this is the, pe- the passage I felt the Lord leading uh, me to talk to you about for just a few moments. 
And before we read, let me, let me kind of catch you up into this passage. It's 1 Kings chapter number 14. It's only six verses of Scripture, and that's all of our Scripture text today. But let me set the stage for you if, you, if I might, for just a moment, that you go back into the history of ancient Israel. We know that Saul was the first king of Israel, and he was rejected because he didn't honor God at a particular sacrifice. He heeded the people rather than obeying God because that's where we get the passage. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And then God raised up David, and so David became a man after God's own heart and became the one that all other kings, subsequent kings, would be judged by. His son Solomon receives the throne at David, even prior to David's death. And for many years, Solomon is a godly king, but Solomon was bound by lust and he married many women. You know the scriptures that tell us that he married 700 wives plus concubines. And so many of his wives drew him away into idolatry and he received reproof from God and so God determined to take the kingdom from him the 12 tribes of Israel would be taken and God spoke through a prophet that that in in the days of Solomon's son Rehoboam that God would give 10 tribes to to, to a man by the name of Jeroboam and only two tribes to Solomon's son Rehoboam. And before this happened, it was prophetically declared because God saw the heart of Jeroboam. If you read chapter 12 and 13 and uh, leading into that 14th chapter, Jeroboam was a man that the Bible identified as an industrious man. Even King Solomon saw him uh, potentially uh, as a threat because he was a goodly man and people recognized his gifts and his callings. And when the day came that the prophet who knew the mind and the will of God came to Jeroboam, the prophet told him and said, I'm going to give, God said, I'm going to give 12, I'm going to give 10 tribes to you and two tribes to Rehoboam because I want to keep a light of David in Jerusalem. But he said this to Jeroboam. He said, Jeroboam, now if you'll follow me, if you'll read the word, if you'll study the word, I'll bless you and I'll prosper you. And so he just kind of hid that in his heart. And it was several months or years later that he actually became the king. And when he became the king, he, he, the Bible says that he made a tragic mistake. Let me just set the stage for you for the sake of time. I won't go and read this, but I want you to see this because you've got to understand what's about to take place in the 14th chapter when, we about, when we're about to read it. So when Jeroboam receives his kingdom, he starts to process all that's taking place. The 10 northern tribes belong to him. He's the ruler over the area now known as Israel. But the area known as Judea has two southern tribes. That's where Jerusalem is at. That's where Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigns at Jerusalem with the temple in Jerusalem. So stay with me for a moment of time. And the scripture tells us that Jeroboam pondered in his own thoughts. Here's what he thought. He said, as he watched people make the annual pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, to the temple, because God said, the only place you can worship and offer sacrifices on my altar in Jerusalem. Remember, you've heard me say it for 13 years. This is not Burger King. Well, you can't have it your way. It's God's way. And God had said, you can't offer sacrifice on any altar. There's one altar. It's in front of my temple. It's in Jerusalem, the place that I have set my name on. That's what the Bible says. And so Jeroboam began to notice as people made the pilgrimage, he said, you know what? He said, if if they do this three times a year, he said, I'll lose all of them. I'll lose their heart. They will turn their hearts to Rehoboam. And so here's what Jeroboam did. Jeroboam went back into the failures of ancient Israel, and he drew out of their failures the two golden calves, the two golden calves. Y'all remember that in the Exodus? And he set one at the northern tribes, and he set one at the house of Bethel, which is the farther southernmost part of his, uh, of his territory. 
And he said these same words that Aaron said to the children of Israel during the Exodus. These be thy gods that brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And he led the people into idolatry. He offered sacrifice at the place called Bethel, which was called the house of God. He attempted to make that the house of God. But I'm telling you, you can't bend the will of God. You can only bend your will to his will. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so by the time we get to chapter number 14, God has looked upon Jeroboam who started out with great promise but now has succumbed to idolatry and God determines to to judge him. And that's where we're going to pick up the story for just a few minutes. It won't take me long, but I'm telling you there's some depth in this if you'll hang with me for just a moment of time. In 1 Kings chapter number 14, can you find it? Say amen. Well, there it is. It's on the screen. So that makes it easier, doesn't it? Let's read this here together for just a moment. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. It came, unfortunately, as a result of Jeroboam's disobedience. The blessing of God was removed and the judgment of God came. And so Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself. That thou may be not known to the, that thou may not be known to the wife of Jeroboam. Let me read it. Arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself, that thou be not known to be the wife of Jeroboam, and get thee to Shiloh. Behold, there is Ahijah, the prophet, which told me that I should be king over over this people. So he said, Let's go back to the prophet that had the anointing upon him that told me uh, that I would be king, and I want you to go to him. And I want you to take with you an offering of loaves and cracknels and a cruise of honey and go to him. And he's going to tell you what shall become of the child. Unwritten into this is the fact that what you, you know what's happening. Jeroboam and his wife see their son about to die. They've been practicing idolatry, but they know that God is a life giver. And so they said, you know what? Perhaps if we'll go to God, we can find, we'll go to the prophet, we can find out that maybe God's going to spare our son. And Jeroboam's wife did so. And she arose and she went to Shiloh and she came to the house of Ahijah. And Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were set by reason of age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh to ask a thing of thee for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say to him, for it shall be when she cometh in, she shall, look at this, she shall feign. The word feign in Hebrew means she shall pretend herself to be another woman. And it was so that when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, that he said, come in, thou wife of Jeroboam. Why feignest thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee with heavy tidings. And so what we're seeing in this passage of Scripture, let me take you into the depth of what I believe that God is wanting us to see from this passage of Scripture. They have now gone to the prophet in order to hopefully obtain a word from the Lord concerning the child's recovery. But at doing so, they are not comfortable with who they have become. And so they feel like in order to perhaps gain a blessing from God, they've got to disguise themselves. And so Jeroboam's wife puts on a mask and she transfigures herself into another. And I began to ponder about the people that come to our churches in our generation and oftentimes I began to think, I began to think about what happens is, you know what, this is actually what often brings people back to church. Often what brings people back to church is crisis or tragedy or uncertain times or a family issue. Especially those, listen to this, especially those that have a previous root in the church, but they've now wandered and they've strayed away. 
And in doing so, often they're coming to get something from the Lord, but their hearts may not necessarily be broken before God, may not necessarily be broken before God. They have a real genuine situation, but being, uh, having a genuine situation is, does not necessarily make you genuine. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so the mask of pretense is often worn, uh, even in the church, but it's also worn vertically as well. It seems as if, this is my observance of being a pastor for 20 years, it seems that many attempt to fool God himself, but they show a conditional faith. If their situation changes, they may serve the Lord. But if their situation doesn't change, they're going to drift back to the world. And so, of course, they won't say that, that become, but that becomes the all-too-common response of those that have disguised themselves as a worshiper. They're disguising themselves as a worshiper, and their heart is really not broken before God. And it happens all the time in America. We see men and women that have drifted away from the church, and they're going through crisis, they're going through trial, they're going through travail, and they think, you know, I'm going to go to God's house, I'm going to go to God, maybe I'll get a little bit of help or release. But you know what? They're not just honest with themselves, they're not honest with others around them, not even honest with God, and they put on a mask of pretense. But I'm telling you, God sees through your pretense today. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. So I'm going to tell you today, the best thing you can do is to just take the mask off, and just get honest before God. Because if I could say one thing, there's one thing that Jeroboam failed to consider when he sent his wife to approach God, or to approach the prophet of God. He failed to fully consider the mercy of God. He himself had become an idolater. But let me tell you, God is always merciful to genuine repentance. There's no record that Jeroboam tore his clothes and cried out and said, Oh, God, forgive us. Oh, God, forgive me and my wife of our idolatry. But rather, he's just trying to slip in in pretense or disguise and steal a blessing from God. Now, I'm not saying that God would have spared the child, but let me tell you what could have happened. God could have restored their faith, and he could have restored their legacy. The psalmist David, remember the man that fell into adultery, would later write in his life, the Lord is merciful and he's gracious, he's slow to anger and he's plenteous in mercy. God is a merciful God. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2, Jonah said, I knew that thou art a gracious God. You're merciful and you're slow to anger and of your great kindness. I'm telling you, God won't turn you away, but you got to be honest with God. You got to strip away all the religiosity that you put on in this attire and you're trying to look and trying to fit in. You got to get it all off. That's why we open the altars up right after worship because if you came in here today with the mask of pretense, we wanted you to be able to take it off and come run into an altar and fall prostrate before God and say, God, here I am. God, I'm not going to try to hide anything from you because your eyes see through everything before I ever form a thought in my mind. You already know it. So I'm going to strip it all off and I'm going to say, God, I need you and I need your help. That's why you're in this house today because God is leading you to come to a place where you're dealing with these issues in your life. I was thinking about David for a few minutes and David petitioned God for his child, the one that was conceived in adultery. Do y'all remember that? And he lay seven days upon the ground and he fasted and he ate nothing, only drinking water. And then he heard his servants whispering that the child was dead. David rose up and when he rose up, he went into the house of God after he washed his face and changed his attire and he went into the presence of God, open-faced, unashamed, and he worshiped the Lord. He worshiped the God that, that, that he knew was a merciful God. And later when he came out and he sat down to eat his first meal in seven days, his servants said, David, why did you fast? Why did you seek God when the child was dead but then when, or when it was alive? But when he died, he said, you, you, you just you stopped. He said, because. He said, while he was alive, there was hope. 
And he said, but, but, but now that he's dead, he said, the one thing I did know and the reason why I kept fasting and seeking God, because I know one thing, God is merciful and God is gracious. And maybe he would receive, maybe he would respond. You know what? David didn't receive that child being recovered from the sickness. But you know what did recover? David's heart. Come on. Some of the most, most beautiful of all of David's psalms were penned after the sin of adultery because God's a merciful God. Did you know mercy will triumph over judgment in your life? Is that right here today? Mercy will triumph over judgment. Taste, take the mask off. You know, I have to believe that everywhere in America today, there are men and women seated in seats and chairs and, and buildings just like this with a mask of pretense on. Not being honest before God. I'm telling you, the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you'll come to God and strip away of everything and just fall before him, I'm telling you, God will receive you and he will heal you. That's the one thing I can promise you. I can't promise you that everything in your life is going to change. I'm telling you all things are possible, right? Never lose hope. Come on. God can do great things. I can't promise you change is coming to every situation, but I'm telling you change will come to you. Man, I'm preaching a lot better than you are shouting today. Change will come to you. Come on, your heart will change. If your heart changes, then there will be a change in your life. You may have come in here downcast, putting on a mask that had a smile, and you looked like everything was good, but everything wasn't good. But you come to this altar, take that mask off, strip yourself clean before God. I'm telling you, God will do a work in your heart and life. And then you won't have to leave with that mask on. You can walk out of here because God will put great joy in your heart. He will have lifted that burden. Let me close with this here today, giving you a great biblical example. Last Sunday night, for the 35 people that were here to hear me preach that dynamic word, Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's a powerful word. It was. It was a powerful word. Part of the scripture text was found with the woman that we call in bib biblical language the Syrophoenician woman. Many of you are familiar with her story in the Gospels because the Bible tells us that Jesus was fatigued from ministry. And I tell you, ministry can be fatiguing. And it's not just what you do. Sometimes it's just who you are knowing, just knowing that people are wanting to pull on you. Right? Have you ever had that in your life where you're just like, oh, my God, I just need a break? Right? And Jesus just needed a break. He revealed his humanity in that situation. And he went to the northern borders, the northern borders of Israel to just get away for a little while. And, and he went into a house to rest. But the Bible tells us plainly. And I want you to listen. This is the story I'm closing with because we're going to tie all this together in conclusion today. And there, there's a living word connected to this for some of you under the sound of my voice today. This particular scripture tells us that there was a Syrophoenician. What that means is that she was a Syrian living in the region of Phoenicia. But the Bible says that her daughter was grievously vexed with a devil, tormented by a devil. Now, everybody here has had a child or a teenager that's dealt with demonic things. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And sometimes you have felt... Uh, helpless in those moments come on is that right you didn't know what to do this woman didn't know what to do but here's what I want you to see the Bible plainly identifies who she was the Bible says she was a Canaanite one gospel writer calls her a Gentile that means that she had no covenant right to approach God she had no biblical right based upon the Mosaic law to approach God. She had not been baptized into Judaism. She was not a proselyte of Judaism. The Bible just simply says she had heard about Jesus. 
She had heard about Jesus. And when she heard about Jesus, something awakened inside of her. And she heard about all the miracles that he had done. She had heard that he had cast out devils. He had walked on the water, how he had calmed the storm, how he had called dead people back to life again. Are you hearing? I'm telling you, your life can change when you just begin to hear the whispering voice of the Holy Spirit tell you about this man called Jesus. And she heard about that man called Jesus. And she said, I got to get to him because I know if I can get to him, I know that he might be able to help me and help my child and help my plight and help my situation. But the reason I I wanted to bring her up today in this house is because when she came to Jesus, she didn't try to mask her identity. She didn't try to put on a, fa- a different face. She didn't try to put on a different look. She didn't try to say, well, I've been uh, baptized in the waters of Judaism. No, she was a Canaanite. She was a Gentile. She didn't belong to the commonwealth of all of Israel, but she knew one thing about God. God was a merciful God because when she came to Jesus, here's what she said. She said, Lord, thou son of David, have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon me, O God. And in that passage, it's a famous passage of Scripture because the Bible says that Jesus answered her not a word. But I'm telling you, when your need is so great that it moves you to go beyond a silent heaven, she then turned to the church staff. And she came, she came after the leaders of the church and she said, can you move him to help me? And she was so persistent that finally they said, you know what? We got to go talk to Jesus because this woman's got to have a moment with him. And finally she get, got an open door and she came and she asked Jesus. And Jesus was once again silent. And the Bible says that she fell at his feet and she worshiped him. I'm telling you, with open face, she went to the God of all grace that had revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And she knew he had the power and the potential to release her of her plight, of her situation, and of her sinfulness. And when he would answer her a word, she showed the sincerity of her heart by just falling down on her knees and looking towards him and worshiping him. And I want you to know, if you'll strip off the mask of pretense and learn the biblical doctrine of coming and laying prostrate before God, and crying out to God for his mercy. He'll change you. He'll change your life. He'll give you a grace, a joy, a peace that you've never known before. Glory to God. He will. The Bible tells us in conclusion of that story here today that her trust was in the mercy of God. Where's your trust at today? Daryl, join me on the platform. Where's your trust? You know what she just needed? She just needed a word. She just needed a promise. That's that famous passage. If you want to know the depth of what it means, listen to last Sunday night's message. She just needed a crumb from the master's table. And God was merciful. I'm so grateful we serve a merciful God today. A merciful God today. But here's what I wanted you to see in closing. I started in Mark's gospel. And when they were coming to Jesus, the Bible says he knew their hypocrisy. He knew. They had a cloak. They looked religious. They sounded religious. But Jesus knew. Well, the one that knew their hypocrisy, that could see through all the facade and all the mask and all the religious attire and everything that they had been taught and trained and who could see through it all. Well, let me tell you, when that woman was laying at his feet, he could see the sincerity of her heart. And therefore, 
he spoke blessing over her life. And he said, woman, great is your faith. Be it thou done unto you even as you will. And he spoke the blessing of God over her. Now, let's put that in contrast. Jeroboam and his wife have a plight, a situation. They're desperate. Their child's about to die. They're heavy. Even as idolaters, their heart's heavy. And they're coming to God. But their heart's not pure before God. There's no record of their repentance. There's no record of crying out for God's mercy. They're just showing up, hoping that they might get a word about their son's future. You contrast that to a woman that came before God and said, God, I'm unashamed. I'm unashamed. This is what I've been. This is what I've done. This is my past. I'm a Gentile. I don't deserve the right. But you're merciful, God. You're a merciful God. And she fell down at Jesus' feet. And her life was forever changed from that moment. Wouldn't that free you up today? Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of God.